Hello and welcome to Mrs M's Curiosity Cabinet, a podcast about materials, the making instinct and living a craftful life. For new listeners, I'm Meg and I'm coming to you from London in the UK. In my podcast, I explore my love of natural materials and the act of making. After a long hiatus last time, I'm back after about a week. This will be a shorter podcast than normal, but as it's Zero Waste Week and this year's campaign makes several nods to making, I thought it would be a good opportunity to explore some of the ways that waste features in my making endeavours. So to all listeners, whether you are a returning listener or have just found this podcast for the first time, I hope you enjoy this thematic episode. When planning this episode, I thought it might be a little different from my normal fare, but actually it is very much the same. It focuses on my making instinct, my exploration of materials, and an ever-present awareness of material efficiency, born out of respect for the people, land and resources that go into materials. As always, you can find me on Instagram as Mrs M Curiosity Cabinet, and that is with underscore between each word, and on Ravelry as Meg, aka Mrs M, and that is with a hyphen between each word. I will link all this information in the show notes, which are available on my blog, mrsmscuriositycabinet.com, or in the Ravelry group of the same name. Before we get started, though, I have a couple of practical matters to mention. First up, last time I mentioned that my nylon free sock experiment had taken me to Northumberland as I was testing one of Whistlebear's yarns. Alice of Whistlebear Farm contacted me soon thereafter, full of enthusiasm for the experiment, but cautioned me against using the Yavering Bell Mohair Wensleydale blend. She warned that it would not have enough durability for socks because it's not very tightly spun. Instead, she very kindly sent me a skein of her Cuthbert sock yarn, which is a visibly more substantial wool and has a much higher twist. So I will be frogging the Yavering Bell socks, and will be casting on an experimental pair of socks with this yarn instead. Secondly, I wanted to remind everybody about the giveaway I announced in the last episode, in which you can win a skein of Hebridean four-ply and a tote bag from The Daughter of a Shepherd. I have been enjoying reading the conversations going on in the giveaway thread called Affordability, Sourcing Responsibly Produced Wool or Fabric Without Breaking the Bank. To make it easier to draw a random prize, I am not pitching in with comments, but I am reading all the input. I am recognising myself in many of the suggestions and marvelling at people's ingenuity and creativity. I particularly love the spirit of the contributions. If you want to take part in this giveaway, but are feeling a little wary about contributing your ideas or are just feeling embarrassed, don't be. There is no one-upmanship or any ridiculing of other people's suggestions but rather open-mindedness and a lot of encouragement. So do pop over there before the end of September. So, on to waste. I first became aware of the Zero Waste Week a few years ago and loved the spirit of this campaign, partly because it was not the product of a big charity or NGO, but rather the brainchild of a concerned citizen. Rachelle Strauss is a woman, mother and self-employed creative. Over ten years ago, she was on holiday in a particularly picturesque English town, which flooded due to excess rainfall. The misery of the floods was obvious, but what struck her most was the amount of pointless rubbish, much of it plastic, that flowed down the streets and lanes of this town in the floodwaters. Since then, she has been campaigning to raise the issue of pointless waste and encouraging us all to tweak our habits and behaviour. 
She organised Zero Waste Week as a focus for her efforts, and the campaign is now in its 10th year. Zero Waste Week is a superb effort to raise awareness of the impact of waste and to show how feasible it is for all of us to find little ways to reduce our own rubbish bin. Just as importantly though, it is a campaign that harnesses the power of community. It is so easy to think our small individual steps are trivial, but Zero Waste Week uses social media to show that we are not ploughing the furrow alone, that there are many like-minded people out there taking daily steps to cut waste and tread more lightly on this planet. Some are minimalists and tiny home dwellers, some call themselves rubbish dieters, but mostly it's just ordinary people like you and me muddling through daily life one appointment, one project or one meal at a time. Because of the strong human and community face of Zero Waste Week, I have enjoyed acting as an ambassador for the campaign a couple of times. Rochelle also very kindly allowed me to study the campaign's methods, dynamics and psychology as part of the research project for my master's degree. You can find more details about this campaign at zerowasteweek.co.uk, on Facebook under the same name, and on Instagram and Twitter as at myzerowaste. I, like others, have been sharing ideas and inspiration on Twitter and Instagram throughout the week, so do check out the hashtags Zero Waste Week or Zero Waste Weeks 2017. Now, I know that waste can sound like a tedious topic, a bit like the affordability topic I raised last time. When we mention waste, we might think of recycling, which many treat as just another chore, or cutting single-use plastic, something I encourage wholeheartedly, but also, which I recognise, many find difficult due to their local amenities or lack of services. Or slashing food waste, something I am passionate about, but realise many find a bore or cumbersome due to busy schedules or children's whims. I like to look at waste more as an invitation to experiment, get creative and even to play, and never more so than in the context of my making. When it comes to craft, so many more issues are within my control what I use, where I source it from, how much I use and what I do with the leftovers. The list of possibilities is endless, so I thought for Zero Waste Week I would share some snippets of how I avoid waste, what I do with the unavoidable waste, and even how I make use of external sources of waste for my own making, and in the process, save pounds. Twelves are a good place to start. As returning listeners know, I have been working on improving my dressmaking skills recently. This has involved making quite a few toiles or muslins. My body is so contrary in its proportions that I can rarely take a pattern and rustle up a wearable toile first up. I usually need to make a muslin of the bodice so that I can slash and pin to modify the pattern. This would normally mean buying reams of virgin fabric, but I'm far too thrifty and resource conscious for that. Instead, I scavenge fabric as much as possible. Like many others, I resort to using threadbare sheets and would even hunt them down in charity shops. I'll also use fabric from previous wearable twirls that were project fails, as I did for my recent Ogden cami. I have even been known to patch together twirls from materials scavenged from different muslins, provided they are similar enough in nature. The only pair of trousers I ever made involved a twirl with one leg made from one fabric and the other from another. Yes, I looked ridiculous, like a larger version of Barbara from the 70s sitcom The Good Life. But who cares? It's a working canvas. One of my favourite sources of scavengeable fabric are my husband's shirts. Mr M wears city shirts for work, so 100% cotton and reasonable quality cotton at that. 
The first things to go on them are the cuffs and collars, as these edges are prone to wear and tear at a faster rate than the rest of the fabric. This means I have a steady supply of decent dressmaking cotton for smaller projects. While the fronts and arm panels may be too small for twirl making for me, the back panels are fairly sizeable, so always worth checking when I try out a new pattern. Oh, and while we're on the topic of Mr M's shirts, yes, I do cut the buttons off for my button tin. Occasionally, my sources of scavengeable material run dry and I have to resort to virgin fabric. In this case, I go for traditional calico or muslin, as both have further uses around the house. Waste calico can be turned into small canvases for art projects, and I always need squares of muslin in the kitchen. I tie fruit pits or crush stones in them when making marmalade or jams, or use them to strain milk into yoghurt, labneh and cottage cheese. I also use muslin in natural dyeing to stop the dye material getting stuck in the wool or fibre. As the muslin squares that I use in the kitchen don't need to be anything fancy, it makes perfect sense to recover them from old twirls. On the topic of not wasting twirl fabric, as my dressmaking skills improve, I really hope that I can start by constructing the lining of a dress first, using a linen or a muslin, and then, if it works out, incorporating it directly in the dress, so getting use out of it. Once I've cracked the fit with a twirl or muslin, I set about sourcing the dress fabric. In last episode, I talked about my Prussian-style planning and budgeting when it comes to wool, and hinted that the same apply to dressmaking. Not only do I favour fabric-efficient styles, I'm also very thrifty when it comes to buying the fabric for garments. To the extent that I will mark out the width of the fabric on the floor and lay out the pattern pieces to see how little fabric I can get away with. If the pattern calls for 2.1 metres or 2.25 yards, you can bet that I will work out if I can squeeze it into 2 metres or 2 and 1/8 yard. Yes, this is financially sensible, but it runs much deeper. Why use more fabric than I need? Waste is also a factor when deciding where to buy new material. I would love to be able to source all my fabrics from organic and reasonably local producers in a fabric shop in my own town, but I am discovering that there are limitations to this. Not only is my nearest haberdashery two train rides away, it is also very hard to find organic corduroys, organic cotton lawn or even organic midweight cotton in muted colours and non-cartoon-like prints. If I have to bend the organic requirement for cotton fabric, the first place I look is shops that buy up end-of-line fabrics from the fashion sector, like Ditto Fabrics or Cloth Spot. Both are based in the UK but have an online presence. These retailers provide access to quality cloth at an affordable price. They also stock cloth that is typically of dressmaking width, i.e. 150cm or 60 inches, rather than the width of quilting cotton. In my, albeit limited, experience, fabric of this width usually means less wastage when cutting. Plus, these retailers allow me to make use of other companies' unused fabric so it doesn't go to landfill or the incinerator. Even if I'm very thrifty about how much fabric I order, there will usually be some offcuts and leftovers. When working out what to keep, I'm guided by a wonderful Japanese saying shared on Instagram by Katrina Rodabau, that is K-A-T-R-I-N-A-R-O-D-A-B-A-U-G-H. It comes from the book Indigo, The Colour That Changed the World by Catherine Legrand, and it goes like this. If you can wrap three beans in a piece of cloth, then it's big enough to keep. I love the spirit of this. It speaks of more than frugality. 
It is a recognition that even scraps have value. So what do I do with my leftovers and offcuts? Some are large enough to use as facings or pocket linings. When I am working out if I can eke a pattern out of less fabric than stated, I consider my chest of leftovers. Do I have fabric that will work for the pieces that aren't immediately visible? After all, some retailers build their brand on contrasting facings and charge you for the privilege. Others I turn into bias binding. It is amazing how much binding you can get out of a relatively small square. Making your own binding takes a little time, but it's not difficult. Saves pounds and puts waste to good use. I know you can buy little gadgets to help with the process, but I just use a ruler, tape measure and iron. Sometimes I might pin a large safety bin to the ironing board to create a channel to run the binding through to help with the folding, but it doesn't really save that much time, so usually I just measure and fold as I go. Quilting is another way to use up scraps and is something that I'm a newcomer to. I am slowly filling up a box with smaller scraps for a quilt which will de facto document my learning as a dressmaker as well as my path to a handmade wardrobe. Lee of the Luli podcast and Instagram feed shared another scrap idea for quilters. She cuts three-inch strips from scraps to create her own jelly roll, a quilting term that was a mystery to me until very, very recently. All of these waste avoidance tips may sound a bit sensible and practical. As returning listeners have probably suspected by now, I am naturally quite an earnest and methodical person, and my upbringing and schooling probably made me more so. I've always been good at practical constructive making, but less so at playful making. That pretty much petered out in my early teens, or rather, it focused on language. My playing happened with language study, reading and writing. Once you add my environmental mindset and instinct to analyse the life cycle of all objects to my practical nature, the barriers to experimenting and playing go up even further. That was until Waste unlocked the door and allowed me to explore and experiment without worrying too much about the finished product or wasting resources. The first time I allowed myself to tweak a knitting pattern beyond just lengthening the body was when I was working with wool I had recovered from a cardigan that didn't suit me. I suppose I thought, well, the wool is effectively free now, and as it has already been worn, it will behave a little differently. So what have I got to lose? Since then, I have embraced playing and experimenting with waste in many ways, like my natural dyeing. I started to experiment with the leftovers from skeins of various natural shades. And then, courtesy of Mr M's old shirts and my worn-out linens, I started to dabble with dyeing cloth too. Many of the dye bars are also brewed up from waste. Some of it comes from the kitchen, like tea leaves from my endless pots of tea or onion skins. But I also use leaves and spent flower heads from the garden and even go so far as to forage these from my neighbourhood. I am currently taking a bag and secateurs out on my daily stroll and gather up spent buddlier heads. It's also me doing my bit for local weed control. If I need to store any of the foraged plant matter, I do so in bags from old bulb orders or cloth bags made from scavenged fabric. Naturally dyed fabric scraps are allowing me to explore so many crafts, experimenting with new skills and revisiting old ones. I'm using some of the dyed cotton as book cloths so I can make classic quarter-bound notebooks. The rest of the dyed fabric from Mr M's shirts is going into my first quilt. I'm using the English paper piercing method, which involves stitching fabric around a hexagon template. Naturally, my templates are made from waste paper. 
mostly offcuts from printed PDF sewing patterns, which are themselves printed on the backs of old handouts from seminars and classes. The dyed linen, which came from old summer trousers, is too interesting to be lost in a blanket. Instead, I decided to try my hand at some embroidery for the first time in nearly 30 years. Not the meticulously regimented stitches of my school days, but rather freehand mark making, which will allow me to turn scraps into functional household goods that appeal to my aesthetic. In particular, I'm making placemats for the dining table. I think they are what you would call of a series. Each one is slightly different in terms of shade, dimension and design, but they're obviously part of a set. Or they will be. Mr M is already chuckling about the possible conversations these might prompt when we have friends over for dinner. I hope these snippets, and they are only snippets, give you a flavour of what fun and awareness of waste can lead to. Just as in daily life, in my making, avoiding waste feels almost like a cunning sport, and one that often saves money. And by looking for the resource in everything, rather than just seeing it as stuff that will disappear into one of three rubbish bins, I can enjoy dabbling in some creative pursuits in an affordable way. As always, I would love to hear what ingenuity you use in your making to minimise the waste in the first place, or to make use of materials that other people would dismiss as rubbish, leftovers and scraps. So, till the next time, happy making, whatever your craft is. Mm-hmm.